The following sermon is from Faith Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Join us on Sundays for our 8.15 and 11 a.m. worship services. For more information, visit us online at faith-pca.org. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to uh, the book of Colossians. And so we're going to the New Testament this morning, the book of Colossians. Uh, We as a church believe that the Bible is God's Word to us and that it's our only rule for faith and life. We believe that the Bible is what we most need. And so as a church... Um, we just simply go through books of the Bible. We've been in the book of Genesis, and we've been taking some breaks because it's a long book. Um, And so we're taking a break from the book of Genesis. We just made it through chapter 35, uh, and we're moving to the New Testament. We often rotate between Old Testament and New Testament. And so uh, we are starting our fall series this morning in the book of Colossians. So with that in mind, follow along with me. As I read God's word, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras our, fellow, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us, to, to us your love in the Spirit. This is God's Word. Let me pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us this morning. Please bow with me and pray. Father, it's been prayed several times already. Um, but we're going to pray it again because we're that needy. But come and show us Jesus this morning. Come through your spirit, through this, through your word, and show us the beauties and the glories and the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Father, we come as we do every Sunday morning. Some of us are discouraged. Others of us are excited and thrilled about the week ahead. Some of us are dreading the week ahead. Some of us um, are worried about a health diagnosis. Others of us are concerned about our marriages. Um, Some, if we're students, are concerned about college and ACTs and testing and whether or not we can make it. And so wherever we are, there's lots of different things and places. Wherever we are, we need a word. And so would you come and meet us where we are and give us exactly what we need this morning. We come needy and hopeful. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Um, we're going to introduce the book, and so this will be a little bit longer of an introduction. And when you introduce a book, you're always in danger of getting so bogged down in the weeds and the details that you continue, you just kind of lose, lose the sight of what everything in the book is all about. I hope I won't do that this morning. Uh, but let me mention a couple things that I think are helpful as we start our study through the uh, book of Colossians. The first thing I think it's important to remember is that this is a letter. I know that's obvious, but we like to state the obvious. But this is an actual letter to an actual church that was written around 62 A.D. Who wrote it? Look at verse 1. The letter was written by the Apostle Paul. There are 21 letters in the New Testament. 13 of those letters were written by the Apostle Paul. And so the Apostle Paul has a very significant role in forming the Bible. Colossians is also known as a prison letter. Paul wrote this from a prison in Rome. We know that because if you look at the very end of the book of Colossians, Paul says, remember my chains. So it's a letter. That's what type of book it is. Paul, who wrote it? Paul, who are the recipients? Look at verse 2. <clears throat> to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. What do we know about Colossae? We know it was located about 80 miles inland from the city of Ephesus in the Lucas Valley. Uh, and it is what is known today as the western part of Turkey. As far as we know, Paul did not plant this church. Uh, Paul did not visit this church. It is believed that Colossians came into being uh, as a result, this church came into existence as a result of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Paul was preaching in Ephesus, a visitor from Colossae named Epaphras, look at verse 7, was hearing Paul preach the gospel, and he comes to Christ, and he goes back to his hometown. Epaphras, by the way, is a regular dude, a regular guy, and he goes back. He comes to Christ. It changes his life. He goes back to his hometown, and he just starts sharing the gospel with his neighbors, and as a result, a church is planted, this church in Colossae. Next question, what is the book about? Why was the book written? Or a better question is, why are we studying it? Or to ask it another way, what in the world does this book written 2,000 years ago have to do with us this morning in 2022? Well, a was visiting Paul in prison, and it makes sense. Paul was a sort of mentor to Epaphras, and any time there was an issue, you can see Epaphras saying, I don't know what to do here. I need to go talk to the Apostle Paul, and perhaps he can help me and give me some insights. And so that's what's happening. He's going to Paul and saying, false teachers have come into our church, and I need some help. And though Paul had never visited the Colossians, he felt pastorally responsible for them. And it makes sense. It came out of his ministry in Ephesus. And so as an apostle, as one who has authority, Paul is writing to them as a guardian of sorts. 
He is trying to guard them against these false teachers. We will talk more in the coming weeks about the specific characteristics of this false teaching along the way, but let's just summarize it very briefly this morning. If you could summarize it, these false teachers were saying, don't trust the message that Epaphras is giving you. Trust us. Because we can help you obtain spiritual fullness and power. We can get you, this is what the false teachers are saying, we can get you further spiritually, we can give you what you need, we can give you the confidence and power that you're after, what you're really looking for in life, we can give it to you. Don't trust him, trust us. Commentator Dick Lucas says it this way, Paul wished to guard them against delusive offers of fullness. Paul wished to guard them against delusive offers of fullness. Now, if that's not relevant for 2022, I don't know what is. Are we not in the world being offered delusive offers of fullness? You see, exact same, exact same temptation 2,000 years ago. We've got it today. It's just wrapped differently, and it just looks differently. Think about it. The world holds out delusive offers of fullness, does it not? And the world dupes us and deceives us into thinking that if I just had blank, fill in the blank, if I just had a relationship, if I were just in a relationship, I would be full and I would have what I need. Or if I just had, uh, if I could just lose a few pounds and work on my appearance and work out and look a certain way, then I'd finally be full and life would work for me. If I just went on that vacation, had that wealth, that certain level of wealth or status or job or house or balance. You ever done that? Thinking, what I really need is balance. I need to be, I'm working too much. I need to be able to balance that with my spiritual life and my work life and my family life. And I had all that worked out. That's what I need. That's what would fill me up and make me happy. And it's a trick. And we know it's a trick because we get those things oftentimes. And we get them and we end up empty and unsatisfied wanting more. And we do it with spiritual things too, don't we? I mean, we tend to think that we need a better power source than what we've got. That we need another program or another uh, emotional experience or a second blessing or a more lively praise and worship service or some additional gift. And if we just got that, then we'd be on the mountaintop and we'd be good. We'd be finally full. We're always looking for a different silver bullet, aren't we? In order to fill us up. And listen to the rest of the quote. From Lucas, Paul wished to guard them against delusive offers of fullness. And then here he says this, Paul wants nothing less for them 
then they should then that they should be filled with all the blessings of God in Christ. Paul wants nothing less for them than that they should be filled with all the blessings of God in Christ. Translation Jesus is better. Jesus is all you need. Jesus is enough for you. There is no fullness apart from Jesus Christ. You see, Colossians, in a nutshell, can be summed up as being about the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That is the thing that we're going to come back to over and over and over again in this series. Jesus alone is worthy. Jesus alone is worthy of our full allegiance and worship. He is all we need. Jesus is enough. Now let's look at our passage. The false teachers, again, are telling the Colossians, don't trust the message that Papyrus has, Epaphras has given you and has preached to you. You need more. And the Apostle Paul comes and says, no, trust the message that Epaphras shared with you because Epaphras has shared with you the full and complete gospel. And then he says, here's why you can trust it. And he mentions, he does two things, and these are our two points this morning. He says, you can trust that you have received the full gospel because one, of the fruit of the gospel that I see in your lives, and secondly, the power of the gospel is changing the world. That's how you know that he has shared with you the complete and whole and full gospel. So those are our two headings. Let's look at our first point the fruit of the gospel. Look at verse 3. Paul begins by celebrating them, essentially. He's thanking them for the work that he sees. And he's saying, I, ha- I am celebrating you because I see in you a healthy spiritual life. I see in you a healthy church. And he wants them, and and he tells them that because of these fruits, you belong to Jesus. And then he starts naming the fruits that he sees in this church. Look at verses four through five. Can you name them? Can you name the three fruits that he, that Paul sees in the Colossians? It's a triad that Paul actually talks about a lot in his writings. You see it there: faith, hope, and love. So let's look at those three things. First, he celebrates what he sees in them uh, in terms of their faith. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. And so notice here specifically the object of the faith. The object of their faith is Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not a vague faith. It's not a general faith. It's not faith or a belief or a trust in some unknown or unspecified God or just any God. It's very specific. It's faith in Jesus. And notice also it's not a faith in themselves because a Christian is someone who does not trust in their own goodness 
or their own resume or their own spiritual performance in order to make them acceptable to God. No, a Christian is someone who trusts in Jesus' resume, in his spiritual performance in order to be acceptable to God. And so that's the first mark. The first mark of faith uh, that he sees in them is the mark of faith in Christ. And he gives thanks for that faith. And the other mark we see that Paul witnesses in this church is the mark of love. And it's an idea that's so important to Paul that he actually mentions it twice. Look at verse 7, he mentions it again. And I think this is really challenging and convicting. But your love is one of the main indicators of whether or not you have true faith in Jesus. Your love is one of the main indicators of whether or not you have faith in Christ. And it's everywhere in the Bible. Jesus talks about it. But Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through Bible knowledge or theology, or being a grace group leader, or being successful in business, or having a great marriage, or a great family in life. No, that's not what it says. The only thing that counts, Paul says, it's faith expressing itself through love. Love is the indicator of whether or not you belong to Jesus. Notice the object of that love. Look at the verse again, verses 4 and 5. The object is all the saints. We tend to think that being a Christian means that you just love the people out there or you get on a plane and you go halfway around the world and you love people that you've never met. And do we need to do those things? Absolutely, we are called to do those things and we need to do those things. But what does Paul say? Being a Christian starts with loving the person not out there, but with loving the person in here, all the saints, loving the person that is sitting right next to you this morning. Paul says that is the litmus test to whether or not you belong to Jesus. The saints, your love for the church. Paul's not just talking here about a warm feeling. Love is active, isn't it? And so love for the saints means sacrificing resources and time for one another. It means being patient with our differences. It means forgiving one another. Love keeps what? No record of wrongs. Notice verse 4. It says, all the saints. And so that's even more challenging. So... It's not just love for the people that are like you or the people that have a great, fun personality that are a joy to be around and are easy to be around and natural for you to be around. No, all the saints. I heard a story this week um, from a person at our church, and they were talking to this woman, and this woman is neighbors with someone who goes to our church, and this family that goes to our church was having a difficult time, and the neighbor sees how this church, Faith Church, listen to this, 
is loving and serving and caring for this family and is so blown away by it that the neighbor who has nothing to do with Faith Church and has never darkened the door here and probably will never darken the door here actually writes a check and sends money into the church office. Why? Because of the ways we are loving one another. Jesus says in John 13, the world will know that you belong to me by the ways that you love one another. May our church continue to be a place that loves one another so well that the watching world looks in and notices and even writes checks because they're so blown away of our love. Love is one of the marks that Paul sees in this church and says it's one of the marks that proves that the gospel's at work in your lives and that you've received it. Lastly, it's the fruit that's on display is hope. But notice the order. In the New Testament, you've seen, if, if you've read through the New Testament, you'll know that the order is normally faith, hope, hope's in the middle, and love. But here the order is different. Hope is actually the final virtue in the list. And notice it is the thing that is fueling and propelling the faith and the love. I'll show you what I mean. Look at verses 4 and 5. Notice the line of thought there. Verse 4, you have faith in Christ and you have love for all the saints. Why? Verse 5, because of the hope you have laid up in heaven. Notice that hope is not in the Bible. It's not a vague wish. It's not an aspiration. It's not, I hope we have pizza tonight for dinner. No, hope in the Bible is a certain inheritance that God has in store for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Hope has an object, and the object of that hope is heaven. As 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, we have a living hope and inheritance because of what Jesus has done for us. And that inheritance that is laid up for us is undefiled, un- imperishable, and unfading, and it is kept for the believer. And so then the question is, how does that actually fuel faith and love? Well, because your hope and what you believe about the future actually impacts and determines how you live in the present. And so let me apply this. If your faith is cold and your faith is dull and your faith uh, is, is shallow and boring and your love is selfish and little... The Apostle Paul says you have a hope problem. And chances are your hope is in the things down here. The things that will fade. Not in heaven. Faith, hope, and love. That's what Paul sees in the Colossians and he celebrates it. And he thanks God for it. And the question for us is, can we see those fruits in our lives this morning? Secondly, the power of the gospel. 
Look at verses uh, 5 and 6. Part of what the false teachers were saying was that what you received from Epaphras needs to be supplemented. That you need some advanced teaching, that he's not giving you the whole truth. And so Paul is reassuring them that they have received. Notice how he mentions the gospel is the truth. And they have received the gospel. It is the word of truth and they need nothing else. And this gospel message is the message, if you look at those verses, that the Colossians have received and that they have heard. And look at verse 6, points out it is the grace of God in truth. The gospel is the grace of God in truth. What is grace? If you could summarize the gospel up or Christianity up and what makes it different than every other religion in the world, you could use one word, and that is the word grace. What is grace? God's kindness and favor towards people who do not deserve it and towards people who are unworthy. And this gospel is a message, it's a word, it's a good word, it's a message of good news. And to really understand what the Colossians have received and why it is good news, we must first understand the bad news. You see, the gospel message, it first tells us the bad news, and the bad news is that because of sin, the Bible says, that you and I are lost and helpless in need of complete rescue. In other words, we don't simply need a little moral improvement, and if we just knocked a few of the rough edges off, we'd be good. We don't just need some character development that help us get a little bit that helps us get a little bit better. No, the Bible says that because of our sin, we need complete and total rescue, and we cannot rescue ourselves. And when we could not rescue ourselves, And when we could not pay our debt, and when we could not obey ourselves back to God, God in his grace and mercy invades the world through his only son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes, and he lives a perfect life of faith, hope, and love. And he dies the death that we deserve, and on the cross, Jesus takes the full wrath of God for our disobedience and for the ways that we are unloving, and for the ways that we put our hope down here, God takes all of that that we deserve so that we would have life and have it to the full. So that if anyone would trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, they get credit for Jesus' perfect faith, hope, and love. Isn't that amazing? We get credit for Jesus' perfect righteousness. And not only that, we get full forgiveness of all of our sins. That's the gospel. That's the message that the Colossians had received. And that's why it's called good news. And Paul says here it's that message that was so powerful that it actually spread throughout the entire known world at the time. And it's a message that was so powerful that it actually changed people and produced in them faith, hope, and love like he saw in the Colossians. It was a message so powerful, Paul knows it full well because he experienced that grace personally, didn't he? 
Remember the Apostle Paul's story? Hated Christians, uh, opposed them at all costs. And in Philippians chapter 3, he was so righteous and so good that if anyone, he said, had reason to be accepted by God by their goodness, Paul says, that was me. That's how good I was. And remember what Jesus does? Jesus appears to him on the Damascus road and levels him. And the gospel comes into his life and destroys his pride and changes him from the inside out. He goes from hating Christians to being the greatest missionary the world had ever known. It even changed the way the grace of God changed the way he wrote. The way that he would write letters. Look at verse 2. Learned this this week from Kent Hughes. He introduces the letter grace and peace to you. The customary way back in that day to introduce a letter was to use the Greek word uh, that meant hello. So greetings and peace to you or hello and peace to you. Paul changes a few letters and changes the Greek word to the Greek word for grace. And in all 13 of the letters, Paul begins those letters with a word Grace. It was a radical departure to the customs of that time, but it signified to Paul the amazing grace of God, the powerful grace of God that had changed his life. There's been a lot of stories this week about Queen Elizabeth. One story in particular stood out to me. A story by Robert Cunningham. He's a PCA pastor in Lexington, Kentucky. And he shared this story uh, on social media. He'd met a man uh, who was giving him a tour. It's a planned tour of the UK Parliament. And this man giving the tour knew the history better than anyone else. And so Robert asked him, give me the craziest story that you can tell me. And he said he did not disappoint And he tells him this story about, you know, every legislative session beginning with the queen's visit, and it was a very regal tradition. She would wear her crown and her robes, and she would uh, uh, process down the hallway, and the queen's guards would line up with their swords, and they would strike the concrete on the side of the wall, and sparks would fly everywhere. And at the end of the hallway was the House of Lords where the queen would enter, and she would take her throne, and she would commission the legislators to enact the will of the people. And he talks about several years ago, they had to break that tradition because the queen was getting older, and they had to accommodate her. And so in order to get to parliament, you had to go up this grand staircase, and that became too much for her. And so they decided to use an elevator to get her up. And he tells the story about a mistake that was made the first time that they had to do this. The elevator operator accidentally pushed the wrong floor. And the doors to the elevator opened not to Parliament, but to the maintenance floor. And as the doors opened, Alice, who had done it many times before in her maintenance uniforms, pushing her maintenance cart head down, pushes the cart onto the elevator and pins the queen against the side of the elevator. She looks up and then she says a word that you shouldn't say in front of the queen. 
And she's sitting there in complete silence, not knowing what to do. There was awkwardness. And the silence was broken when the queen started to laugh uncontrollably. It was then marked by a remarkable invitation. Rather than pushing the button to let her off on the maintenance floor, Queen Elizabeth tells the operator, take us up to Parliament. And so the doors open in the House of Lords, and there is the queen with her crown and her robe, and then there is Alice standing right next to her in her maintenance uniform, and they start to walk side by side down this royal hallway. It gets even better. Because you see, once a year for the rest of Alice's life, she was invited to Buckingham Palace for high tea with her newfound friend, Queen Elizabeth. That's an amazing story. But friends, it does not hold a candle to the gospel story. And the gospel story is that the king, the Lord of lords and the king of kings, the one who created all things, comes down to us even though we are unworthy. And he doesn't just invite us over once a year for tea. doesn't just call us friends. But God says, I'm going to adopt you into the royal family, and I won't just call you friend, I'll call you son, and I'll call you daughter. And you, because of the work of my son, Jesus Christ, you don't just have access to me once a year for tea. You can come into my throne room anytime, anyplace, anywhere. That is the power of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. If we understand it and receive it, it will change your life. Friends, Jesus really is better than you think. He is so much better than everything the world has to offer. And so I hope you'll come back this fall. I hope you'll come back as we study this amazing book of Colossians and week after week after week, here's all we're going to do is we're going to hold up Jesus and I'm going to say, look at Jesus who is beautiful and more wonderful than anything we can imagine because Jesus is sufficient and he is supreme. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book. Forgive us for thinking, thinking that you're not enough and running to so many other things in the world. Holy Spirit, use this book in our lives this fall. Change us. Convince us that you're enough. Use this book to reveal, this wonderful book of Colossians, to reveal your sufficiency to us in a new and fresh way that might change our lives. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.